Okay, we're a couple minutes past, so we're gonna get rolling here. Uh, of course, I want to start by saying I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I got to spend some quality time with some friends and loved ones. Um, I know I did. I wasn't able to go all the way back home, but um, Joe and Jamie were very gracious and let me uh, spend spend the holiday with them and their family, and uh, also the Wrights were there. I will tell you, I'm not a huge fan of turkey. Never been my favorite. Uh, if I could have the turkey that Joe made, I would eat turkey every day. I don't know exactly what he did. If you want to ask him, I don't know if that's a secret, but it was absolutely delicious. Uh, good food and even better company. Uh, so we're going to be talking about a biblical concept that is found throughout the Bible, but is, it is articulated in the letter to the Galatians in Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10 is going to be our base text today. And we're going to be looking at this concept of sowing and reaping. And that's, of course, an agricultural metaphor that the people would have been familiar with. But Paul applies it to something spiritual, and we're going to kind of be looking at it through the purview of this <coughs> What does it mean to reap in the spirit versus what it means to reap in the flesh? So that's what we're going to be exploring. Uh, before we begin and dive in, I've asked uh, Kyle Pearson to lead us in an opening word of prayer, so we'll go ahead and do that. As funny as it might sound, I actually wanted to start class off this morning by talking about the Rocky movies, uh, because they were on TV this last weekend. They always have Rocky playing uh, during Thanksgiving, and I'm a big fan of the first Rocky movie. I think Rocky One is a really, really good movie. It's about a simple working class guy who has a goal. He wants to beat the current champion, Apollo Creed, and everyone's telling him, you know, he's ridiculous, he doesn't know what he's getting himself into, um, you know, he needs to stay in his lane. He works really hard, puts in the efforts, uh, gets, gets to the fight, uh, you know, and he doesn't win the fight, but the point of the movie is that he had a goal, he set his mind onto it. He got farther than he ever thought he would get, and of course at the end, even though he didn't win the fight, he has Adrian, the girl that he loves, and that's who he wants in that moment. And it's just this beautiful story. The thing about the Rocky movies is that they get a little more Hollywoody and a little more ridiculous every single one. Rocky 2 is where he has the rematch and he beats Apollo Creed. That's fine, kind of getting away from the point of the first movie. Then Rocky III comes along, and that's one of the silliest ones. That's the one with Mr. T, where Mr. T is the bad guy, and he wants to fight him. And that one, uh, very hard to take seriously at parts, but I was watching it a little bit just because it was on. And I think the underlying premise of Rocky III actually has a point that's a little bit applicable here, is that in Rocky III, he's got the fame and the fortune because he's made it to the top, and he kind of rests on his laurels, and he gets lazy, and then you have Mr. T's character, Clubber Lang, and he's where Rocky was in the first movie. And Rocky is at the top now, and he wants to take him down. And so you have this kind of thing where Mr. <coughs> T's uh, fighting and putting in the work, and then he goes to fight Rocky, and Rocky just gets destroyed. I'm sorry if I'm spoiling a 40-year-old movie for you. <laughs> but Rocky loses that fight in the middle of the movie because he let himself go. He forgot about, you know keeping his eye on the prize. And of course there's another 45 minutes of the movie left and he trains and comes back and wins and all that. But the thing that I was thinking about is how often in our lives is that the case where we have worked really hard and striven and put in the work 
and we've been blessed and arrived at the point that we've wanted to arrive at, only to forget how much effort it took to get us there, and we lose sight of, you know, what we've done and who has helped us along the way, and we are surprised, even though we shouldn't be, when we're not able to maintain everything that we've worked so hard for. That's, of course, in a spiritual context, but, you know, as well in life. So we'll go ahead and look at the uh, main text we're going to be looking at today. Like I said, Galatians 6, uh, 7 through 10. It reads, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So once again, only a few verses, but there's a lot there. And reading this, we're talking about reaping, getting what you put into something, getting out what you put in. And if you look at this at face value, this seems to be something that Paul is saying that might be a little bit different from the other message that he's been talking about in his letters, as well as a message throughout the Bible, is that it seems to be saying that you get what you deserve. What you put out is what you get back. And this kind of has the idea of what I guess people um, in the secular world would call karma. And karma has always been really interesting to me because people who don't even consider themselves religious seem to have some kind of um, want or need for a sense of justice in the world. Even if they think that it's a random universe without any causality, there's something they want to attribute, some kind of uh, sense of justice where things come out in the wash. You know, If you're a bad person who doesn't treat people right, bad things will happen to you. And if you're a good person, the opposite will be true. And looking at this verse, if you just kind of read it, it does kind of look like Paul is making that point. But if you look at it in context of Scripture and the entirety of the verses of the Bible, you'll see that there's nothing cosmic or mystical about what he's saying here. He's articulating a very fundamental truth and a rule that you find, especially uh, in the Old Testament in Proverbs, is that actions have consequences. This is something we understand as human beings. As we go about life, the things we do are going to affect people, places, and things, and those actions ripple out and have real effects in the world. And that is what he's saying here, is that the gospel that we have been given, the life of Christ is the example, is a pattern for us to study the Spirit is a helper for us to guide us along that journey to make sure that the consequences of our actions, our good actions, are going to be beneficial, not just to us, but to those who belong to the family of believers. And then, of course, going out the family of believers <clears throat> will continue to be a blessing and help sow and reap good in the world. That's the ultimate goal that we have um, so I wanted to look at some examples. Solomon writes a lot about this, and like I said, this is kind of a proverbial thing. You find this idea all throughout the Old Testament. 
Proverbs 11:18. A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. You see a concept here, a financial one. This is something we see, uh, especially when talking about this concept of reaping and sowing. It's applied to money and finances quite a bit, and that's understandable, and we can take it um, in that way, and we should. But, of course, it has broader implications, and it's not just financial. Uh, but that is one of the things we see tied to it a lot. Um, Proverbs 22, 8 through 9. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. Ge the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. This is this idea of generosity, giving, um, not being selfish, helping others who are less fortunate, uh, blessings that come from doing so. Proverbs 3.10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. This idea that God loves a cheerful giver. He's always looking for ways um, to bless those who are doing his will and who are showing his love. And so uh, in Galatians, the, uh, the prior chapter we talked a little bit about um, with Ryan, this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, where we can talk about the results or the harvest of the Spirit, is that when we plant these things, and then we, um, you know, follow the example that Christ has set for us. We are going to see results, and the results are these attitudes, um, these examples that we have, um, fruits of the Spirit, um, ways of being. And those are, you know, things that we work on. We kind of talked about the complex nature of this. Are these things that we work on, or are these things we become? The answer is, well, yes, they are things that we individually uh, strive to achieve, but they are things that are seen through us through that pursuit. And so we talked a little bit about that, and he kind of makes this um, point is that when you're planting, what are you doing? Is you're putting the seed in the ground, and that seed is gonna grow roots. And once something has roots, it's in the ground pretty firmly. It's hard to pull up something with roots, and the longer it's been in the ground, the firmer those roots are, and the sturdier the plant or the tree or whatever is going to be um, to uproot. So when we're talking about this duality here, spirit versus flesh, that has big implications. Because if we plant something and we keep it um, up and we're watering it and maintaining it and being a good steward of it, that means it's going to grow. The effort is going to be seen, and it's going to be harder for anybody to uproot that. On the other hand, if sin and discord is what you are sowing, if you are not living the way you're supposed to be, then you are also planting something that is also going to have roots. And the longer you cultivate that, the stronger that's going to grow, and the harder it is um, that, that that's going to be to go back and get rid of that and remove the consequences of having that in your life. And so um, something that Paul and the other apostles try to uh, emphasize is the idea that when you are a Christian, putting down roots is important. Uh, we have this a concept of babes in Christ, is when you are a new Christian, you're new to Christ and his word, there is a uh, maturation process, right? Is that you, at first, like a child, a newborn child, you feed them with milk, but after they develop and grow, 
you need to be able to give them something more, something more uh, sustainable. Um, oh, here's another one. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, same talking about roots, right? A kid, when they are young, you're what? Planting a seed. You're, that child is going to literally grow and go out in the world. You want the results of that child's um, you know, early years to be productive, to be a Christ-filled one, a love-filled one. Um, that's one we're pretty familiar with. So 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. This idea of you know, physical um, ideas, physical concepts being turned and used in a spiritual way. Just like newborn babies crave milk, babes in Christ, new Christians should crave spiritual milk. And what do we do when we provide that? When we give it to them, it nurtures them. The word, the spirit, um, helps them become <coughs> stronger. And if you've seen a Christian who spent his life serving, um, you know, men who are older um, elders as well as elders' wives, people who have spent long years in the church, you see just how powerful this maturation process is, what it can do to someone, uh, who they can become, and the good that they can do. Uh, any comments or questions about anything we've talked about so far? Yes, Nick. I started listening to a book this weekend called The Secret Life of Trees. And okay. going back to your root analogy, mm -hmm. when a tree gets to be like over 100 years old, it started, its roots have started to bump into other roots of other trees. And if you cut it down, the trees around it will still nourish that stump and keep it alive for a long time. And that can be applied to something spiritual. The beauty of the church is that we have everybody who's building us up and edifying us so we can support each other in a way that when unified. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, that's a great spiritual application. Um, once again, talking about the power of having not just yourself, but other members of the church to provide and nurture for you in that way. So I want to look today, uh, this is another verse, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6. So, also New Testament application. Uh, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Um, so we're going to see, uh, we're going to look at some of the implications of these verses. But this is talking about, like, you know, the amount is that if you keep something back or the amount that you withhold is going to have an effect on the amount that you get back. There's a idea of proportionality there. And that's something that we'll discuss a little bit further in class. But once again, this concept of reaping and sowing is not new. It's found throughout the Bible, but Paul here, um, just kind of like we talked about this idea of the oxen and being yoked last week, uh, this idea of a very literal process that was part of life is now being reiterated as a part of spiritual life, a new way of looking at things. So we're going to be looking at um, six lessons that the Bible teaches us about the harvest. Um, I have the last one up there. That's not supposed to be there. I'm not great with PowerPoint, but we'll take this one by one. So the first lesson of harvest is that you cannot harvest what you do not plant, right? And that's pretty 
common sense, that's nothing mind-blowing, but it's important to remember is that if we are going to be looking forward to gaining something, then we are going to have to have put something in. We're going to have to have contributed to the work in some way if we're going to be expecting something, right? Um, <coughs> we talked about this kind of, this relationship we have with God is that we plant the seed, God gives the increase, but there's a responsibility and a contingency upon us, right? If there's nothing planted there, there's nothing for God to give the increase. I think a lot about the story, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in uh, different places, but in John chapter 6, Jesus has 5,000 people, and the apostles are like, you know, what are we going to do? We don't have enough food. And so they find this boy, right? We know the story about he has the loaves and the fish. Just, just a little bit of food. You can think of it like a Hebrew Happy Meal he's got there. And he takes it, and he makes enough food for everybody. But it's not like he just does this miracle where he waves his hand and there's all this food. There seems to be a process is that Jesus takes the food from the boy. He says a prayer, and he blesses the food. And then he hands the food out, and the food multiplies. Jesus serves as the conduit for multiplication there. Is that Jesus has the food, and he's the one that gives it out. It's not the apostles that were able to do this, but Jesus who initiated this process. And it's also worth noting that Jesus wasn't the one who brought the food, right? Just because the miracle was done in the hands of Jesus, it was given to Jesus by someone else. That boy had to bring the food for Jesus to use. And he uses that kid as an example for us so that we understand we have to bring something. He only brought a few loaves of bread and some fish, but it was something. And Jesus was able to use that to nurture and multiply. So that's a, that's a very important um, lesson there. And it says at the end of that is that they had enough left over to fill 12 baskets, or they had 12 baskets of leftovers. And I read one commentator who speculated that that is perhaps a lesson for the apostles who were before <coughs> doubting how Jesus was going to do this. And at the end of it all, they each had a basket of their own that they could take over and have leftovers. Um, I thought that was interesting. Any comments on this? Um, okay, so we'll go on. The second one, you cannot harvest without waiting. Now, this is a hard one, right? The idea that we don't have immediate results or instant gratification, especially living in a culture today where everything seems built on this idea of get what you want as soon as possible. And I think, personally for me, Amazon has made life very, very difficult when you have prime shipping and whatever you can think of shows up at your house within two days, that's pretty incredible. I have a hard time thinking about what life was like before that. Um, but kind of the same concept is that we don't enjoy this waiting period. But back then, in a literal harvest, it took a very, very long time before you saw the results of your planting. Farmers would have to uh, begin this process very early 
And then their uh, harvest not only was dependent on time, but dependent on weather and other factors that would have an effect on it. And sometimes the amount of time didn't really um, matter if it was a cold winter or the weather conditions were brutal. They didn't get that much back. And that's really, really a hard thing um, to think about. But this idea of a harvest is that there is an uh, aspect of patience that is involved. And as a Christian, you know, that's a virtue and a value because it's all about patience, right? Is we not only need to be patient with ourselves and others, but remember that Christ is patient in our relationship with us. And that's something that we need to understand is that a lot of Christians will give up doing the right thing just because, well, maybe not just because, but a lot of times because it takes so long to see the result of doing the right thing. And so often the wrong thing is easier to do because the results of doing the wrong thing come faster, right? That's the allure of sins, that you can get what you want, but just for a little bit, right? This idea of instant gratification is that it doesn't last. You can have it, but it's fleeting, it's temporal. The satisfaction that we get, the harvest that we get um, from God, uh, the results of the fruit are going to be more fulfilling and they're going to be more meaningful to us than those of reaping the flesh when we reap in the spirit. And when we see other people in the world who don't take this path, that don't wait and take the easy way and they have success, that's really difficult for us to see and it's really frustrating and there's verses in the Bible that talk about, you know, do not envy sinners. Um, don't, don't be jealous of those who do wrong for, you know, they have their rewards or their just rewards. But uh, in verse 7, Paul says, do not be deceived about this. In this verse, um, let me see. Exactly says, yeah, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, one will reap. Um, I was looking at this. This is really interesting. The Greek word deceived is the word planeo, and it means to be led astray. And the idea behind this is where we get the English word for planets. And the Greeks used to use stars for navigation, um, early pioneers of astronomy. And some stars were unreliable because they would be in one place in the sky one night, and then they'd be in another place the next night. And what we later learned is that these stars they were looking at were later called planets. They weren't stars at all, but rather um, something different entirely. And so this is where we get the Greek word planet. But I thought the idea was interesting because if we are looking just day by day at the positions of things and how things seems to be, we can be deceived into thinking that's how they will be the next day. And things could be entirely different and often are. Um, so some, something about the uh, harvest is that it requires patience, sometimes a good deal of patience, <coughs> but we are um, promised that there is fruit that will be returned. Um, any thoughts about that? Okay, we'll go on to the next one. What you harvest will be greater than what is planted. Uh, in the harvest, Whatever you sow is going to come back to you in a greater quantity. 
Uh, this is something, you know, that is, again, common sense, but it's also something that, um, you know, we can look at and see to be true is we get back, um, both in the spirit and the flesh, we get back a greater amount than our actions. We talked about this, this idea of a cause and effect is that when we say or do certain things in the world, our interactions with people are going to uh, kind of create a domino effect. You know, if you are having a bad day and you say something harsh or cruel in the morning, that can affect someone else's morning and that can affect the kind of uh, way they interact with that people. And then you've ruined countless people's day just by being in a bad mood for the first hour or so. Um, that's kind of a simple example. But this idea of spirit and flesh is that we kind of talked about last week and other times I've mentioned is that a lot of the motivating of not sinning, right, is that sin leads to death. Destruction of the soul is the ultimate consequence of sin. And we use that as a lot of the motivation to not sin. And of course, like I said, that's the greatest one. But the effects of sin in this life and the consequences of sin are very real. And just because we have forgiveness of sin does not mean that we are free from the consequences of sin. And like we talked about those roots, a lot of people don't think that this is quite fair. Is that if you have lived a life before Christ and we have the consequences of sin, uh, our lives can be very difficult. And, um, you know, we can see how someone, you know, who has come to Christ later might have a hard time accepting this. And I understand that. But this is why you know, we have the church to help these people. And by the same token, if we want to be receiving continuous blessings that are greater, we need to make sure that we are planting and we are um, being like the world. Um, and we're going out and we're making sure that the things that we are getting back uh, we're mean, sorry, I'm trying to think about how to articulate this. There's an important thing to remember is that um, everything that comes back to us is going to be in this greater amount, I guess. I had another point I was trying to think of the right way to put it, but I'll go, I'll go ahead and move on. If I think of it, we'll come back to it. Yeah, Jamie. I think um, a helpful phrase in that Galatians 6 passages, um, mine says, at the proper time, mm -hmm. um, which you may be getting to that, but um, I think one of the points he's making is that sowing in the spirit reaps spiritual benefits, and that may not be until eternity. Um, and sure. so I think that's helpful sometimes in looking around and seeing different people receiving different things, and just knowing that our reward is greater, not just in quantity of, you know, the actual quantifiable, but just in its substance and what it's made of, which is that it's spiritual in its eternal life. Absolutely. Yeah, we are guaranteed many things. We are not guaranteed all of them in this life. Yeah, that's important to remember. Yes. Um, kind of going off of the comment you made about, you know, earthly consequences to sin, and then spiritual consequences to sin. I think it's a good idea to think of sin as, instead of, oh, I'm you know, going to be ultimately punished in hell, but 
we want to avoid sin because it affects our relationship with God. Exactly. And right. so we are seeking to be close to God, and we don't want to sin because of how much we love Him, rather than we don't want to sin because we are afraid of the consequences. Absolutely. That doesn't mean that we are excused from the consequences, and like you said, there's consequences to every action, whether it is positive or negative, you know, depends on what action you've chosen. But just to remember that, you know, as was stated, it is spiritual blessings that we're seeking. Mm -hmm. And if we are avoiding sin and we are sowing those good things and we are following what God has commanded us to do, then we will ultimately grow closer to God. So no matter what our life looks like on this earth, we have that blessing and we are reaping that daily and we always have the joy of Christ. Absolutely. And Paul emphasizes always that the relationship and the love of Christ should be your motivator to do these things more than anything else. Yeah, that's absolutely important to remember. Um, for what you harvest will be proportional to what was planted. And uh, this is something kind of we talked about, like ROI, if you're a finance guy, return on investment is that what you invest is going to have an effect on the value or the amount. This is a little bit different than three because three is just about amount, right? Any amount that you put in, you're going to get more. This has to do with, okay, well, if I know I'm going to get more, now I have to figure out how much I'm going to put in to receive more, right? So this is this idea of proportionality. Um, I have some verses here. Here we go. Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm playing around with the PowerPoint. Um, they're a little bit out of order. I think that's kind of throwing me off. So this is some verses I have that go back to verse 3, or sorry, point 3. Malachi 3, 10 through 11, uh, this is a verse I like. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And I think that's kind of interesting is this idea. He says, test me in this. God is giving you, you know, we don't like to think about testing the Lord. But he's giving us permission in this instance to say, if you don't think that there's something that I can't bless or give you, you know, find out. Find out the extent that I'm willing to go to bless you. I think that's very powerful. Uh, Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We know this very well. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Once again, kind of this financial idea of investing, right? Is that, kind of going back to the point that Jamie said, is we are putting stuff away. We're not giving stuff away, we are putting stuff away. It might feel like we're having to let go or give of ourselves and not get it back immediately, but there is a spiritual realm. Um, there is a spiritual reality where things are happening that we can't see. That's something we've been talking about for this whole class. And this investing that we're doing is that we're putting it somewhere else and it's going to be waiting for us. The spiritual reward is something that we're building with our work uh, here on earth. 
So you have this idea of proportionality, um, Proverbs 19:17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Do we think about that? That, <coughs> that when we're giving to the poor, or to or we're helping people who are less fortunate, we are also giving to the Lord. I think that's kind of a cool thought, kind of um, interesting. In 1 Kings 8, you have the story of Solomon, um, who, upon being king and being inaugurated, was um, supposed to sacrifice a bull, right? Uh, that was the tradition. Solomon goes as far as to sacrifice 1,000 bulls because he is so thankful and grateful to the Lord. He doesn't have to. He just has to do the one per tradition, but he does. And God blesses Solomon by saying that he's going to give him whatever he asks for, right? And then Solomon asks for wisdom. God blesses him with wisdom. And then Solomon uses that wisdom to multiply and give back. And kind of this idea is what a great thing to ask for wisdom. Because knowledge is finite, right? There's a lot of knowledge you can have, but there's only there's a limited amount. Wisdom, knowing how to use what you know, is so effective. And you see kind of this idea of blessing. Solomon reaping uh, spiritually and, it, and also harvesting. Or, yeah, sowing spiritually and harvesting by the way that he served God. Um, so, let's see... The next one is harvest requires both perseverance and persistence. And this is kind of related to the second one, is this idea of waiting. But also that not everything that we sow is going to be um, uh, beneficial or fruitful. That's why we have the parable of the sower, right? Is that the seed went lots of places, um, you know... But there, there was a certain soil, right, a certain destination that is the one that yielded the fruit. And so it is for us is that we cannot become discouraged when um, we're not exactly getting the results we want with a certain area of our focus. If we continue to look for opportunities to serve and we continue to be examples and uh, study the word and present it, um, there is going to be fruit that is born, God is going to give the increase uh, in the places that he finds good for it to grow. Uh, and once again, perseverance, not just waiting. Uh, waiting has this idea of, you know, being patient, but perseverance is that things are happening that make it hard to wait. Not only are you having to wait, but things are difficult. Things don't look like they are going to work out the way you want them to. And then there's that uh, component of faith that you have. Perseverance requires faith. And this is why Paul says, Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Paul understands that we're going to be tired, that it's going to wear on us, that this is not an easy thing that he's asking us to do. Any thoughts or comments before we go to the last point about anything we've talked patient. about? Patient. You have to be patient. Mm -hmm. Patient is, is what comes from waiting. Yes. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, anyone else? Okay. So the last thing I wanted to talk about as we close out here is that it is never too late to begin sowing seed. And I think that's something that we have to begin to work. <coughs> and as Christians, we encounter a lot of people 
who seem to think that perhaps it is too late for them, that they are too far gone, they've made too many mistakes. Or perhaps we think that uh, ourselves, you know, we've missed our window of opportunity, or we could have been able to be more beneficial when I was younger and I had more energy or I had more time. Well, that's not what, that's not what the Bible teaches at all, is that the best time to begin sowing the seed and working for God's kingdom is today, if you haven't started doing that. And this is spiritual opportunity, but also other opportunities. I think this is great why we have something like Giving Tuesday, which is something coming up where we as Christians, individuals, are going to give of our personal means and help out um, our community and help out people. And that's a wonderful thing to do, especially after Thanksgiving, because like Rocky, right, we can rest on our laurels, sit around and look at how blessed we are, and not do anything about it. But with opportunities like this, we're able to give back and be able to return and say, I'm so thankful to God that I'm going to give out what he has given to me. Um, so that's kind of these ideas that we had. Uh, spirit versus flesh. Kind of the spiritual reality. Um, a lot of heavy concepts that I was trying to get through. I appreciate the comments and everything. I hope everything makes sense. Uh, I'm always open for discussion or questions afterwards if uh, there's anything you'd like to talk more about. Thank you for your time. Thank you.